Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, I hope you're doing all right. I hope uh, I hope you're having a good jog on the treadmill. I hope you're having a good drive through traffic. I hope you're enjoying vacuuming your house. Whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to uh, to this podcast, I really appreciate it, and I hope you're having a good time. And I hope listening to this makes it a little bit better. Uh, so this is it. This is the first one. This is episode one, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, so as the uh, as the kickoff, we're going to go way back. Uh, I've been talking about uh, making a podcast for a long time, and I haven't done it. And instead, I recorded a bunch of random conversations with friends along the way and never quite finished them and put them online. But uh, that's changing now. That's changing today. That's changing with this podcast, the one that you're listening to, the sounds coming from my mouth hole to your ear hole. That was way grosser than I expected, so let's just move on from it. Let's just ignore it and move on. We'll laugh about it later. Tonight's podcast is a conversation that I had with a good friend of mine named Aaron Beaumont. He, uh, he's a musician and a songwriter, a collaborator. He uh, is one part of the uh, songwriting workshop called Song Lab. He is the music assistant at the uh, Gregory Brothers, which is one of the gigs that uh, he and I work at together. He is a, a manager at Rebel Bingo. He is uh, a very good salsa dancer. He's bilingual. He's got a degree in economics, and he's a really close friend. And so we have a conversation about almost none of those things. We specifically talk about music, just songwriting and music. And so in 2012, we sat down, we had this conversation through Skype, the audio quality was mostly crap, and, uh, and then we played a bunch of his songs, a bunch of demos, uh, a lot of these songs have been released, uh, most of these are not the final version or the released version of the songs, but these are songs that he wrote or co-wrote or produced or sang or all of the above. So without further ado... This is my conversation with Aaron Beaumont. Thanks for listening. My name is Meshack Jackson, and you are listening to Me Speak.
doesn't sound anything like the last recordings that I released. And the reason is that the really official release, even though I've put out little demos and, and mostly like home recorded things here and there since then, my first project, that was literally the first songs I ever wrote, probably the first 10. And so I, I have written a lot since then, a hundred something songs. And so I think it's just inevitable that you kind of move in different directions. And I'm still doing things that are somewhat similar to that, just kind of for myself or writing more of the piano man, singer songwriter-ish songs. That's just kind of one side of what I've latched onto as a writer, I, there, there are a lot of other directions that I really enjoyed delving into. So, Good at Being Bad is definitely a foray in a, uh, in a totally, if there is a musical opposite, like the opposite direction of my first album in terms of the poppiness and also just the basic simplicity of it. I never would have imagined that I would write a song that I could literally play the same piano part over for the entire song. Michigan and then I drove around for a little bit and wound up in Nashville kind of like at the invitation of a buddy of mine who was down there. By then, had you already recorded the record that you put out or did you record it in that? No, no, I, I recorded it. Um, I think I was, I was just starting to write those songs. So I recorded it, you know, the winter after I moved there <clears throat> and, and then it, it came out. Uh, yeah, we were working on it. The, I mean, it was like the mixing and all that was done, uh, like summer Oh seven, some, somewhere in there. And then I got, I actually got the first sort of like more homemade copies back, um, early that fall. And then it was, you know, more or less re-recorded at least the vocals and, and, uh, some other instrumental parts, the following year, um, like summer of 08 and actually re-released that fall. Um, when I moved uh, by a label out here after I moved out to Los Angeles. Gotcha. So yeah. So I mean the, 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 uh, the writing of those 10 songs and the act like the, the most recent release of those 10 songs spans six years five years oh no no i mean i i probably wrote those songs i don't i had not written any of them you know by the beginning of 2006 so okay that's it, probably so two years yeah yeah a little more well yeah yeah probably about a little over two years by the time it was re-released so which in the in the early stages of any musical careers a substantial amount of time. Um, I mean, it, yeah. I, just, I just mean to illustrate how, how much as a songwriter you can change and progress. Yeah. And evolve, yeah, totally. You know, from those first 10 songs. And it, it also, at least in my experience becomes pretty hard to play those songs live. Uh, yeah. After a while. Yeah. I, I haven't played, I, I actually just did a show um, right before Christmas of my own, um, 
which was the first the first time I just kind of sat down at the piano and was like, well, what do I feel like playing? And I, I in, in at least a year, probably, just because I've played with a lot of other people and we've done a lot of band shows, but I just haven't done, you know, anything, any of my my own, just all the other songs that I have laying around. So, so I wound up playing a couple from that, from that album for the first time in at, in at least a year. And, uh, it was really satisfying. I actually really enjoyed coming back to them, you know? So yeah. Did you change the arrangements much? No, no. I mean, I honestly, I didn't really have time. <laughs> right. So I pretty much, cause I was, I was actually was playing. I think I played like 15 songs and I might've played two from the album. I think I played Traffic and uh, the Park Bench song, and and I, you know most of the other ones were songs that I had not performed as much, so I had to spend more time working on working up arrangements for those. Or I I probably played three or four songs that I'd never performed, and then you know several more that are just laying around and that I actually kind of like, you know, but I haven't I haven't recorded and haven't put out. And they don't really fit in with what I'm doing with the band, so. Right. So how how far how long were you in LA before you were actually playing regularly with or writing with another project other than your own kind of solo endeavors? It was a while. I mean, honestly, Emma is pretty much it. Like I I did write a little bit with a friend of mine. Um, you know, I think that was mostly sometime in '09. Um, but most of that time, I was still do I you know. I recorded a bunch of songs, just piano vocal or Rhodes vocal, um, earlier that year, and then a few more later that year, all just my own, my own project. And then same thing, the beginning of 2010, I recorded, I think, four more songs with another friend. Um, and those were definitely a step in a different direction, but but nothing like what I'm doing with the band now. So it was really the beginning of 2010 um, when Emma and I started writing together. That was pretty much my, I had not done much co-writing before that. I mean, I, I'd, you know, I'd sat down to write with a few different people, but I hadn't been as serious about it and certainly not as productive as Emma and I were. I mean, we probably cranked out 30 songs in the first six months or so or, or year like last last year we wrote or uh, well in 2000 like second half of 2010 through the first half of 2011 we wrote you know a couple albums worth probably <laughs> you know i mean i don't right. not that they would all be albums full of home runs but <laughs> <laughs> but you know i mean we it, we it was very productive and i feel like during that time, I grew a lot as a writer, and I also wrote the musical during that time. And um, so, you know, I'm just kind of of the mind that, and maybe this is just the kind of writing that I've been doing that's a little less mysterious and more craftsmanlike and more, you know, just you just sit down and and work at it rather than like getting hit by some bolt of inspiration and writing feverishly for 10 minutes or whatever, you know, there's a lot of just kind of staring at the laptop or whatever, you know, (laughs) just massaging Um, it into a song. Yeah. Like I, I think that, um, that, that, that kind of writing is just really like a muscle. Like the more you do it, the more easily you, you can do it. 
to some extent. You know, I don't think there's that much mystery to it. I mean, the the actual musical elements, that's always a little more, you know, kind of elusive. But I feel like uh, the melodies are um, much easier to write than the lyrics. That's I, I mean, easier in the sense of, they either they either come to you right away or they don't. Whereas a lyric, you can labor over and change and whatever. In my in my mind, most of most of the melodies that I write, I you know I either sit down or I, actually I don't I don't even really write at the piano. I, I'd be at a cafe or something like that, and I either you know stop and listen to what's going on in my head, and it's a melody that I like or it's not. <laughs> right, and that's pretty much it. You know, there's not a lot of like work involved per se, you know, not as much labor, um, with respect to like the actual musical elements or the melodic elements. I, at least I think that there shouldn't be, you know, I think that it, that I've, I think a melody should be something that just kind of like pops into being. I mean, obviously there's a little fashioning and shaping and stuff like that, but it's nothing like a lyric, which really, I think re- for the kind of writing we've been doing requires you know, more honing and more, more craft. Yeah, it, it almost seems like the the melody serves an, a, just an entirely different purpose. It's it's more it's the sugar over the candy. You know, it's it's like a whole different. I don't know. Um, it's it, yeah. It's its own. It's its own pill, basically. the 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 process of writing a melody, though, I'm curious about. Um, specifically with you, because for me, it's, de- it's, it's very much so what you just described. It, it either, it either attracts me or it doesn't, um, when it, when it hits me for the first time. And, but for me, um, I'm, I'm very limited with the skill set that I have to translate that into music. So it takes either painstaking work to attach that to an arrangement of music or to, you know, the, um, or to break out of that melody into other, um, other ideas musically. Um, or it all just hits me like a flood, but there's no in between. There's no like natural flow as far as translating, translating a melody into a song. Um, but knowing your background, I, I know that you have a, a very different, um, history of, of education in music than I do, um, in that you have one. Um, so I'm curious, is there a, is there a less painstaking process that you go through to translate a melody into, um, and, and actually like pull from that, a a sort of scaffolding of, of information that you can, that you can build a song from, you know, honestly, I mean, I, I did like, I grew up studying piano and playing a lot of classical piano and listening to a lot of classical piano and jazz and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I don't, I don't think that like, I mean, any music that you can get in your head will inform and aid whatever it is that you're writing on some level. Like it's just kind of inevitable. Whatever you fill yourself up with will kind of filter through whatever, whatever sort of like essential units there is. (laughs) Right. Uh, and, and become what, you know, whatever you write, but like my specific, you know, theoretical knowledge and I, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty much self-taught and that doesn't, 
from in, in a songwriting from a songwriting perspective, I don't really think that that I think that that could get a, get in the way as much as it helps. Like I I actually when I was write when I wrote my first album, I wrote pretty much all those songs at the piano, and I would I would you know hear a progression that I liked, and then I would try to sing something over it, and maybe maybe that works well, and maybe that winds up hooky, and but more likely that's the kind of melody that you need to tweak quite a bit so that it fits what you're doing in, you know, instrumentally. And, and I don't think that, I mean, that, not that that's not a valid way to go about songwriting, but like I've moved away from that and, and gone to a place where the melody just dominates everything. So I don't, I don't write at the piano. I don't use my instrument at all when I write, like really, you know, like with the musical, for example, most of those songs I had the melodies and the lyrics down before I even sat down and tried to play them at the piano. I remember the first, the first um, read through with the whole team, where we had the script and the music and lyrics together for the first time. They wanted me to bring my keyboard in and actually play the songs, and I told Peter that I wasn't going to do that. This was like the, the production team, like the costumes you know, all the staging and whatever, everybody was going to hear everything for the first time. Right. And I told him that I couldn't, I couldn't do that because I had never played the songs before. I just had like, you know, the melodies and the lyrics mostly in my head. I mean, I, I definitely sung the melodies out and I knew what was going to happen with the songs, but like everything that comes after that is just arrangement. You know, you can put as many chords in or as few chords in as you as you want. And that, that's where, you know, I think the musical expertise comes in. Honestly, I think all the classical stuff or any, any kind of like musical education that I had probably only served to like fill my head with different musical ideas, you know, that probably emerge in the melodies and in the directions that I go with the melodies. But like, but I'm not thinking in terms of like, oh, well, I should, you know, I should base this melody around a sharp 11 and then maybe uh, I can drop it down to the major seventh. And, you know, like I, I don't, I'm not like thinking about melodies that consciously. It's, it's really just kind of like a, you know, the, le- the less consciously, the better. <laughs> right. So is that true when you're, is that, is that still true though when you're writing counter melodies or, or, you know, transitions between a a verse and a chorus or those kinds of things? Or do you find yourself more calculated when you're writing sort of the, the, the support muscles of a song? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's actually a really good mix of everything. Like if I'm doing horn arrangement or harmonies and stuff like that, the musical really like put that to the test because I really, um, you know, did not restrain myself at all <laughs> in terms of like just harmonic, not harmonic complexity, but just like density, I guess. Right. It's not, most of the songs from the musical are really pretty simple harmonically in terms of like the chord progressions. But, um, you know, I, uh, I, I had eight to 12 or even I think 14 at one part at one point different lines of vocals like harmonies and counter melodies and stuff like that going on in a bunch of the um ensemble songs and and that's you know that's a combination of like just hearing 
other melodies that fit together and and seeing if they actually fit together and maybe modifying like some sort of like peripheral melody or the whichever one's not dominant to fit the one that is and you know i mean that's that's some trial and error and some just actual theory work i guess on some level i don't know that's getting into composition and stuff like that which i which i have not been trained in but which i you know dab, like dabble in right kind of by default now
there is really something pretty elegant about hearing a, a truly accomplished musician express something simply. Um, and that song strikes me as, as uh, an awful lot of discipline going into to keeping something simple. And at the same regard, there's a lot of complexity kind of built into the decisions that you made, even in the arrangement of the song. Um, like there's, there's very little about the song um, that's actually predictable. It's just that it sounds like it should be predictable. So it's easy to follow. Um, huh. So, I mean, that's the, at least the, the impression that, that sort of that I get, just speaking specifically of the arrangement, um, you know, especially the breaks at the end and, and even the, um, the choices of the solos and, and, you know, there's, there's some things about it that are sort of cliche turned into something that's, that's non-cliche, like if, if that makes sense. Um, so in other words, like taking a, a more creative approach on things that could become, could be used as cliche in these types of songs, you know? Huh. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think that's like, if there, if there's one thing that has kind of like changed for me as a writer, it's, it's the, uh, I don't even want to say that it's like discipline or anything like that. It's more just like kind of having an appreciation now for doing whatever makes sense in a song rather than like having, I mean, not that you shouldn't work from concepts and stuff like that, but like for my first album, you know, most of the songs were were on some level exercises in like trying to trying to figure out how many chords I could put in a particular verse or something like that. You know, it's just it's more like it's uh yeah, it's an exercise. It's like a it's a game almost. Whereas I don't know, I think I've gotten to the point where I don't feel like you know, I, I just have come to appreciate like the poppiness of a song and 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 the fact that everything should sort of serve like those melodic sensibilities or the, you know, serve to like augment the hook or feature the, the best parts of the song. And that that can only really be one thing at a time and not like 16. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of inevitable too. like everybody that I talk to say, say that that's a pretty natural progression to i i don't know i mean i would imagine to more simplicity or at least appreciation of like it's not necessarily simplicity as much as just like a certain focus i guess yeah i think that's that's probably a smart way to put it because i it, it does seem like a natural evolution um as a songwriter to to start from being very simple because it's all you know and then the more you know the more you put into a song and then you finally get past trying to prove yourself or trying to just express all the the new tricks and you actually get to a point where you have these tools ready to, to yeah. use, you know? Yeah. Where you say I could put three modulations into this chorus, but would that make sense? Yeah. And it does, does it serve the purpose of whatever this song is, right. is, is meant to be. And, and that gets to the idea and kind of brings us to the idea of, of evolving a song over time because it kind of becomes, a new meaning. I mean, for one thing, it, it, it could be one thing just that you've changed your point of view in your life. But another thing is, you know, as a career musician, um, you might, might actually get some songs if you're fortunate and very few are, you get some songs that a group of people have really, you know, grown to love for, in a certain 
kind of context, and you get the opportunity of playing with that and being creative on top of that context now um, and changing it and kind of evolving it in, the, in yeah. a way. Um, but it seems like at, at all points, after a certain threshold, at all points, you're you're kind of struggling or, or you have to balance learning something new and being a songwriter and expressing the, the new tools that you've, you've just learned. And at the same time, um, you know, getting the point across at the same time, representing the portrait that you're trying to paint, you know? Yeah. Um, so tell me about good at being bad. How, how did, how did this evolve? When, when did you first write it? Um, man, I don't know. That's a weird one in the sense that like, I think that, you know, that's just one of those melodies that I kind of had on repeat in my subconscious for a while, like where I would just catch myself singing it here and there. And I, I actually, I think I wrote a version of that song or at least of the chorus that was like completely different. It was about just thematically totally different, (laughs) but I realized that it just did not, those two things were not in harmony, like the subject and the, uh, you know, and the actual song, like it pretty much just had to be, I don't want to say it's like, you know, fluffy or vanilla or whatever, but it just kind of had to be like a pretty simple, almost teenagerish pop song. So, so that's actually, I, I think, um, I had the chorus, I wrote the chorus, um, or, or the idea for the chorus in a lyrics group that I was a part of, um, just at, for an assignment, it was actually the lyrics, believe it or not, came, <laughs> um, the assignment was to write a song that, um, revolved around some aspect of either of one of two movies. I think one, the first one was the nine, which I never saw. And the second one was an education, which I also never saw and have still not seen, but <laughs> based on what I gathered from the reviews and a uh, preview, <laughs> I I wrote the lyrics to this song. Uh, oh, and also what people were saying about the movie in class and like, you know, a few of the other lyrics that people brought in and whatever. I just kind of gathered, you know, I, whatever. I mean, I, I could be totally off base, but I, I got some sense of something, some theme from the movie and, uh, and put it into the song. So yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, I I think I wrote the lyric in a night and, um, and that was that, although it did lay around for probably at least a year before we, before I played it. And then, and then maybe another six months before we decided to use it with the band. So now the the hook that you're talking about does that start with the uh, you only go for the good boys or just the good at being bad part? Uh, no, I mean the 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 whole chorus, I guess, basically from from you know you only go for the good boys to the to the repeated hook, the repeated um, you know the title. Cool. So. Yeah, I've never seen any, either of those movies, so I don't have the context there. But um, <laughs> apparently, it's not like completely like wildly off base for an education, and that's the one that I was kind of. Ba- I, I think like the idea was, you know, sort of an older guy preying on a younger woman, you know, behaving badly, sort of a playboy, but has that I don't know sense of like danger and allure. It he has. 
at least from my impression of the song or like the image that's in my mind, and we've already discussed how far off those can be tonight. Uh, (laughs) I, he, he has all of the sophistication and mystery of the Fonz. Yeah, there you go. All right. I like that. That's probably about the right era. I don't know. I was like, uh, what's that one? There's a John Dunn poem that I've, that I read that was like, you know, I kind of wanted something that was so almost like so charming that by the end of the song, not necessarily charming, but just like, you know, a little bit roguish and, uh, and like, why would you say no? Kind of like that sort of, um, uh, proposition or something like that. Right. Well, I like it. it it's definitely a, a departure from um, from the solo record, but I and but you know what? I mean, it is still piano driven, you know, hooky pop music. And and I thought your first record, although it I, it was um, even by the time we met, you had already progressed, you know, beyond that substantially enough to notice. Um, but it it still had a, a definitely a, a, a sensibility for a hook, and, and and it still has you know some really great lyrics and some really great arrangements and you know some beautiful music and it's piano driven uh, sound. So it's I don't think it's as big a departure um, as some that have you know some of our friends have made. But um, but I, I I like it a lot. I'm I, you know the first time you played it for me, I. I kind of gravitated toward it because I I think it also has a um, we've talked about this and it has sort of a a commercial appeal, sort of an insider type of quality, uh, insider to the music industry type of quality that I that I I'm envious of. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, see, that's how you take a compliment, Aaron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean so, by that? I don't, that's, that's all I got. Um, what do you mean by insider quality? Um, what do you mean by you like it? <laughs> Explain yourself. What's that supposed to mean? Um, a hole. So I've got. <laughs> is that the way you normally work um, to to write uh, a uh, to write and kind of immediately record, or do you work often with notes of of whatever you're, you've written? I always. I always have a hundred different variations of any, like, I mean, not always, but usually if I, you know, if I'm heading into a writing session, I'll have some just vague, well, or or a little collection of various melodies or song ideas. And then, and then everybody just sort of trades those and we decide on something to finish and get as much of it done as we can. And, you know, there's always some, sort of like sketched out audio version uh, that circulates thereafter, you know, that people can listen to and get more lyrical ideas or, or um, you know, think about arrangement, arrangement ideas or other melodic ideas. And then that whole, that tends to blossom into, you know, a hundred other ideas for alternate melodies and alternate lyrics and alternate, you know, other, other directions to take the song. So typically, I mean, I would say, this is actually atypical in the sense that, like, you know, we sat down for an hour or so and wound up with something that's pretty much the same as what you're hearing 
you know, a year and some change later, uh, in a live recording and also for JT's studio recording. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like the, the changes have been aesthetic, but they haven't been narrative, um, to the song and, and really in any way, melodically, lyrically, um, the arrangement. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, just as what well, like, you know, the, how things evolve and, and get torn apart and put back together in the production process and also arranging for live, live. I think it's really a pretty, pretty, uh, you know, rare case that you wind up with something like this. I, I just, in my own experience, I've had my songs never really quit evolving. I just kind of decide to like play it one way after a while, even if I think of other, <laughs> you know, things to do with it. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there, there are some artists that sort of work that way that basically their songs always, always change, but what they end up recording just captures a moment in time for the lifespan of that song. Um, yeah. And you know, Tom Waits strikes me as that. Sting strikes me as, as one of those kinds of artists, although, you know, I'm not a, a, a huge Sting fan, but he he does um, he does evolve his his songs quite a bit. Um, I've actually heard that about, um, I'm trying to remember the, there was a Radiohead tune that I was reading about a few years ago. Uh, man, it was something on... It was something on Kid A and basically how like the original version, the, the, I think I actually, there was some article that held up the original lyrics to the lyrics that they actually recorded and it was completely different. And I, apparently he, he keeps working on things and, you know, um, you know, oh, af long after the fact. And I think it's kind of inevitable if you come back to a song in a different place and you're professional development, creative, artistic development, your reaction to it and the way that you handle it will inevitably be different, you know, because writing, uh, writing and performing both are such statements or they just kind of encapsulate whatever particular moment you're at emotionally, spiritually, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really particularly funny when in my experience at least when when I've gone back to a song and I've seen lyrics that at the time I wrote with complete sincerity and yeah. a, a bit of naivety and then at at the time of revisiting them I almost see them as irony. Yeah. Man, and, and I use them almost in that way when I replay them they kind of twist into ironic kind of statements of of naivety, you know. Right, right. I, I I, I, you're, you're a brave man for like, I don't, I can't even handle replaying a lot of my, you know, the first stuff I ever wrote, or I mean, I'm sure it's like that for anyone, even if, even if their, their like first work is deemed by history as being superior or whatever, I think probably just about everyone winds up, you know, hating it <laughs> eventually or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, totally. But, uh. But yeah, I, it's it's really strange to go back and and revisit some of that stuff and and you know sometimes I can appreciate it, but usually it's uh, it's much heavier on the naivety than 
<laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I totally wouldn't know what you mean. It, it's definitely few and far between that I come across anything I've written in the past where I'm actually proud of, or I actually think, Oh, I, you know, I can mine something good out of that. Um, and usually it's stuff I wasn't smart enough to, to actually use back in the day. It was something that I scrapped and, or could never finish or. Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, or maybe it's just that I was just, I just didn't evolve it to the point where I'm sick of it now. Um, it, it's weird because I, I mean, I've had, you know, like B sides from my first album or, or just other ideas that have been kind of like marinating for a few years. And then, and then one day, um, you know, they're ready to hatch or open up or whatever. Uh, and, and you just hear something totally different or, or, get some kind of revelation and, um, wind up, you know, wind up actually figuring out what they're about and how they should be played. Actually good at being bad is a song that's kind of like that. Cause I had that melody laying around for years probably. And like various hooks and stuff like that. Like, and then one night I, you know, the lyrics popped out and the chorus popped out and whatever. I mean, there, there, there are certain melodies and certain musical ideas that are always kind of like, like this background radiation in my, in my brain that are, I I just catch myself like spinning over and over and over unconsciously during the day for whatever reason. It's some weird, it's like my musical frequency is just set to (laughs) that where I, you know, I could be driving around or in the shower or whatever. And I'll catch myself just, you know, humming one of three or four melodies. Right. And, uh, and so anyway, yeah, that's, that's yeah, I can I can definitely relate. I mean, there there have been through the years for myself. There's a list, a, a much, a very long list of songs that I just never want to hear again as long as I live. That I that I wrote and have tried in so many ways to record in as many varieties uh, of expressions that I could find, and I still just hate them now. Um, and then there are other songs that like somehow have remained precious to me over over all the years and I still have never really conquered them. Um, but they're this, just this, this dying little plant that I've kept alive, you know, <laughs> hoping at some point it's going to work out, um, and really blossom. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a mix though, because I think for me, I've gone through as, as, and we should talk about good as good at being bad in reference to this for you. Um, but for me, it was always about like, um, I just had so many cycles of going back to, to re- writing or back to recording and then going away from it for a while Yeah, that I've gone back so many times and kind of revisited my material and said, okay, so, you know, let's, let's get back and kind of see where I was. Um, whereas like we've talked about for, for, it seems like for a, a solid, like, I guess three or four years now, maybe even longer, maybe five years since we've known each other. Um, you've been working pretty steadily and pretty, um, pretty diligently in writing as much as possible and in, in playing. I mean, maybe not you know touring all the time, but you've been playing pretty consistently you know, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because, um, that's the first thing that anybody who's heard, who, who's heard this recent round of recordings with, uh, with the band, that's the first thing everyone says is, uh, I, you know, it doesn't sound anything like the last recordings that I released. And the reason is that the, you know, my first and kind of only 
really official release, even though I've put out little demos and and mostly like home recorded things here and there since then. We go together like fire and ice. You shiver, shake me, and the mountain is nice. Am I crazy, or baby? Are we falling in love? It's Monday morning. How did this start? How, you said you were you were already working on that stuff as early as 2009 or 10. Yeah, 2010. Um, I met. I actually met Peter Barubi, my co-writer uh, for the musical, and at the first show that Emma and I ever played when we didn't even really have enough songs to play a show, which was 
I think April 19, maybe even, uh, 2010. And, um, and Peter, it was a weird connection, just like it was with Emma, where we had actually had mutual friends in Nashville and may have met when I was there. We were definitely there at the same time. Um, and same thing with Peter. Peter was actually, Peter and Emma had been on a film together and I had worked with Peter's girlfriend at the time. Um, and so both of them showed up and I knew her and Emma knew him. And then Peter and I started hanging out that year and, uh, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't start working on the musical or anything like that. It was basically just a lot of good hangout and getting to know each other and everything. And, uh, and sometime probably late summer, early fall, he said that he wanted to put together a show. And I think at the time when he approached me with this idea, I kind of had the impression that it was more like cabaret style thing. And I would just be kind of like curating the music and maybe putting a few originals in. But then as the idea evolved, it just got bigger and bigger. And until one day I just, I think it finally actually registered that we were like, writing a musical. And I think that he had had that in his mind the whole time. And <laughs> to me, I just sort of like the idea had kind of kept getting bigger and grander until I sort of got to the same place that he was in. And it's probably a good thing that it happened the way that it did, because I don't think I would have, had I known the immensity of the project, I, I may have had more reservations about signing on. Not that I wouldn't have done it, but I just probably wouldn't have thought that I would have been able to do it, you know? Right. Um, but really, you know, we, we were, we worked out that he wrote the, the book, which, you know, the script and, uh, and we met a bunch of times at the end of 2010, a lot up at the Getty center and, um, and worked through a lot of story elements and, and characters and stuff like that. And so I think it was around Christmas of 2010 that we had a conversation about what the actual songs would be and what the, you know, who needed, who needed songs and when they needed to be. And, and that continued to evolve over the next few months. But really, I, I think I wrote pretty much all the songs, uh, the actual songs, January, February, March of 2011. And then, um, and, you know, we added a few here and there. And it, you know, it evolved for a few months, but overall, like the, like from what I understand, the process of like germination of a musical is years and years. And the whole thing kind of from writing the first song and writing the first line of dialogue was about six months till we were actually on stage, <laughs> which is, wow, which is insane. It was, I, I guess it was, yeah, well, maybe seven months. And no, actually, it was about six months. Quite honestly, not that that matters, but yeah, it was it was really quick. And uh, and I think I actually wrote the last song. We'd are, we were already seven weeks into rehearsals when I wrote the last ensemble song, and everybody had like a week and a half to learn it or something like that. But uh, now, how yeah. did that how did that work for you guys to coordinate? Like, how much of the story was already in place? And can you kind of take me through where he was when he pr- approached you with this? You know. He did not have uh, a really coherent narrative in in mind, at least initially, I know. I think, you know, he approached me with this idea. I, I 
of a of an underground cabaret or so, something like that. Um, but we didn't really. I mean, a lot of it, I think, came about just through the dialogues that we had up at the up at the Getty Center and the couple different places that we would just go and write and talk about the project. And and then I think he did a lot of like thinking and he's a story guy so you know he's got a really good narrative sense and did a lot of character development and just plot development in there it was really probably overly complex you know it it's going to be much shorter and much simpler in terms of like interwoven plot lines and stuff there were there were a lot of a lot of i don't know there's a decent amount of like narrative complexity um and i think that it all fit together really well but it's not um, there's there's there was a lot to take in I think for the first for the first run it was three and a half hours long and there were twenty performers and like probably six major characters and everybody had you know different character arcs and different subplots and you know it, there was a lot going on there was a lot of show and and really, I mean, the production value—I just never would have imagined that it that it was possible to pull off. The choreography was just brilliant, and the costumes—the costumes were brilliant. You know, I couldn't have asked for anything more from the um, the cast. Everybody dedicated so much, so much time and effort, and it was really probably my favorite creative experience. It's just—it's so—it's um, it such an like honor to have so, so many amazing people bring who bring so much to the stage actually like giving life to your songs i'd never really had that i mean it was amazingly inspiring and i and i you know before the show was even up i was ready to start working on another musical just because i i don't know I, i really it's something that just really clicked with me and i think the kind of writing made a lot of sense in the sense that you know what a song needs to accomplish and you know, you know, uh, it, you're not sitting at the piano with just staring at a blank piece of paper. Like, you know a lot about this character and you know what they would say. And it's, it's just a much, I don't want to say it's an easier way to write a song, but it's, but it's a way of songwriting that, um, I found just made a lot of sense and, and was really, rewarding like i just really enjoyed it you know tell tell me about the story of the musical you and i've talked about it a little bit but um as far as like you know what's the elevator pitch here basically (laughs) uh well so it's basically set in an alternate um near future dystopia in which a vaguely kind of like puritanical not really like specifically religious regime. I mean, it is sort of like religious, but it's not really pointing any fingers at anybody um, is, is in power. And so all kinds of what we would think of as natural human rights have been stripped away for the sake of maintaining the peace. And, uh, you know, basically people are trading um, a lot of their freedoms for, having a safe and more or less homogenous society. Uh, and so within this world, which is extremely like oppressive and puritanical, there's this underground, um, 
underground cabaret that's sort of like a haven for everybody who doesn't fit into the like prescribed um you know state prescribed like way of life and and i think that the overall message is revolves around the idea of behind closed doors the show is called behind closed doors a second class cabaret and it's about dispelling the notion of second class citizens in general um Based, based around the idea that behind closed doors, you know, everybody has secrets and nobody is that model um, citizen and nobody is, you know, I, it's, 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 a, it's, a gritty, it's a gritty show and, the, and it pits these two sort of like diametrical opposite extreme perspectives against each other and... Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's not trying to be super didactic or preachy. Um, I think it's pretty entertaining in the end, but there, there's plenty of action. There's plenty of, uh, you know, girls running around wearing not too much and guys weren't running around wearing even less. And, uh, <laughs> which, which is never, you know, which never, um, hurts when it comes to filling seats, <laughs> right, right? But it's all purposeful. I mean, I, I really enjoyed like, you know, every everything that happens in the musical, like, really goes to support the story and create a really powerful, evocative world. I mean, people responded to it so strongly. Like, people were just they were gasping and they were shocked and they were like laughing and and crying and I, I think it was it. I don't know if it was how it was presented or how it was staged, whatever, but it, for whatever reason, seemed to draw people in very successfully. And, and we always got some kind of reaction. People, you know, um, did not leave feeling indifferent, certainly. So, sure. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think in that respect, it was a huge success. And it was also a huge success in the sense that we did not have an empty seat. We actually, except for one show, every show was oversold. So, um, so it's uh, you know it's moving forward. We're we're working on the cast recording, and we're doing some stage readings this year. And we had we were able to make some really good connections as a result of this first run. And so I think we're going to have some really good people, you know, kind of lending a hand um, moving forward and. Uh, and we're planning to have the official world premiere um, sometime this year of the kind of like pared down, much more streamlined, more focused, um, I, you know, I don't want to say better version, but I really like what's happening. I, Peter and I have just met a couple of times about revisions and adding songs and taking things away. And it's going to be a lot shorter and a lot tighter and, you know, pack a lot more punch. When I feel blue. I simply close my eyes Remembering all the lovely moments in my life The people and the places make it no surprise And suddenly it gets hard to feel blue anymore It's hard to feel blue anymore And all my lows turn into highs Bad days are nothing more than good ones in disguise Cause it's them that I remember why I love my life And suddenly it gets hard to feel blue anymore 
it's hard to feel blue Well, you've got to never give up, never give up, never give in Cause the world that we live in Was made for living I think of Christmas ticket tape parades The Oregon coast and homemade toast with marmalade Evening strolls and pecan rolls with cherry pies Autumn leaves, New Year's Eve's climbing trees and blueberry skies Springtime wind chimes and front porch swings But to be completely honest, more than all of these things The people I love are every reason that I sing They're the tonic and lime, the Havarti and wine All the sweetest things I find inside this lovely life of mine They're the reason I'll never give up, never give up, never give in The world that we live in Was made for living So my friend When life knocks you down Your sip runs to ground Turn it around Turn it all around Remember the blessings That you've been given Cause the world that we live in first run kind of set up did you do just a couple of shows first and then it got extended or did you have a plan for a certain number of shows at first no we had a plan um we we booked a uh a really great theater actually theater space a few months out peter and there was a whole production team involved in in all those aspects the fundraising and um you know i was involved in the casting and obviously the musical director up until the show just to sort of like to make sure everybody was delivering the songs and knew what they were, um, you know, what they were supposed to do. And, and, and honestly to kind of like figure things out collectively cause it was a brand new project. So, um, so it was, a, it was, you know, a huge learning experience for me. Um, and the first rehearsal, I just remember feeling so completely underqualified and thinking, man, I hope nobody in here finds me out. Cause like these singers, you know, are awesome. And, uh, I've never done this. So it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, 
it was just an amazing kind of whirlwind, whirlwind experience. And, and I guess I'll never have that particular experience again, but I can't wait to, um, you know, to, uh, spend some more time in theater, musical theater and, and especially this kind of variety of it, which is, a, which is a grittier, more, more comedic, but also really dark. I mean, it's a very dark show and it's very stylized. Um, and, and just suits my kind of like throwback and thematic and songwriting sensibilities in general. So, and th- does this take place in a certain like musical genre? Yeah, I mean it's cabaret style. Um, so it it is that sort of, like the cabaret was the traditionally was kind of like picked on purpose, and I think that's one reason that Peter wanted to work with me on it because I sort of naturally tend to like that throwback ragtimey piano style. But um, you know, it was one of the first places where women and minorities and homosexuals and all these kind of like, you know, historically marginalized second class citizens, um, could actually have a voice and have a forum for their ideas and their perspectives. And, and, um, so that's one reason why we, why we chose to work in that mode kind of, but, you know, it also just, um, it's kind of what I tend to write anyway. Not to say that, I mean, all the songs actually, there are, there's a really big variety in terms of the, um, you know, the styles that we, there, there are some straight up almost more like spiritual blues and, uh, some really peppy cabaret style numbers, some, um, more like standards-esque ballads. And, you know, it, it's kind of like a full gamut of, uh, sort of like pre-1950 or 19, 1920 to 1950 songwriting <laughs> on some level, but. And did you actually perform all the, all the shows? No, no. I, uh, there was another musical director who came in to actually play so that I could, you know, sit out and enjoy and critique and, um, you know, just take notes and, and take it all in. Did so, you perform any of them? What's that? Did you perform any of them? I I did actually, but not on purpose. I um I had I had this uh, weird like pinched nerve thing in my shoulder for you know right. I remember that. most of the summer, which I which prevented me from playing for a few months, which is crazy. I've never had anything like that before. Um, so I actually couldn't have played the show, regardless even if I had wanted to, I, I couldn't really play in rehearsals all that well. And, you know, it was kind of, it was tricky, right. but, um, but anyway, the very last night, our musical director's son had an accident and, um, and I found out about 10 minutes before showtime <laughs> and I had not played the piano in about three months. Um, but, there was nobody else. So I, I went back and I, uh, I was originally, he, he thought that he was going to be able to make at least, you know, probably the second half of the first act on. Um, but he was in the ER waiting for his wife and I, I, you know, it was a really kind of like dramatic situation. 
Um, and so I wound up basically just playing the whole show. It was my first, uh, you know, first spin on the keys in a, in a while, but it, it went really well. I mean, it was a little intense, honestly. And I was like exhausted by the end of it just because there's so much concentration involved. But fortunately, like I, I compiled, you know, a collection of actual sheet music and cues and notes and stuff like that. And obviously I knew the show really well, but you know, I had such a, um, such a huge quantity of things to look at anyway that anybody could have sat down and played the show. Unfortunately, I knew what everything was supposed to sound like and all that. So it wound up working out really well. And, and actually most of the perform, I think most of the performers, even after that show did not know that I was the one who was playing. <laughs> like nice. a few people were surprised when they ran past the piano and, and saw me there, but yeah, it went really well. And, and, uh, and that was, I, I, I'm actually really glad that I had the opportunity to, to participate, to actually perform in the show once too. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you have, um, you, you mentioned w- wanting to work on other, um, musicals. Are you working on any now? You know, I'm not, although I do have like, I don't know. I, it seemed to be, it was like an epiphany. It seems to be a really natural, like forum for a lot of songs that I don't know what to do with, you know, like I I have a lot of ideas that I actually really like. And, you know, once upon a time, I think I tried performing one or two of them, like at regular clubs around town. (laughs) But I think I was literally like told by someone at one, like one of the shows, like you can't play something like that here. Like that's not, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what your, uh, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. So like, it was just that, that kind of song did not make sense in that show on a Friday night or whatever, you know? So, right. um, but, but based on those songs, I mean, I, you know, that's definitely the beginnings or at least pieces, bits and pieces of other musicals. So that's interesting. So in, I'll try not to ask too many more questions about specifically, uh, behind closed doors, which are, which would, very simply be answered by having seen it myself. But since it's so hard to find any way to see it, it was sold out obviously. And there was such a short run. I have to ask one more that in the context of the show of a show like that, I'm, I'm curious about it uh, again, as a, as a songwriter and, and having had that kind of an opportunity sounds just amazing. So I'm curious to know more about the process of how you guys integrated the characters with the songs and sort of vice versa in the writing process. When you, when you are working on something like that, does he, did, did Peter come um, pretty early on with characters and sort of introduce, okay, here's the narrative arch. And then here's the, here's how these characters need to interact with each other. And then we have this moment where we need a song that gets us from a to B or is it more often, that you're working sort of abstract terms and, and kind of feeding off of what both of you are writing. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really like organic in the sense that there, it certainly was not, it wasn't super developed when we started working on it at all. I mean, most of it, um, happened in those meetings and we would, we would kind of arrive at ideas for songs or, or Peter actually did bring quite a few ideas like, saying, well, we should have this kind of song here or, um, but it, it was never like, 
it was never like, you know, something was handed to me and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I, got, I have these 18 songs to write or, or anything like that. It was, it was really, a really collaborative, interactive, like organic process that we kind of arrived at just, you know, very, very naturally. I mean, honestly, the whole thing, and he said the same thing, like, it's just shocking how seamless everything was and how every single time we, we would go our separate ways and write something, we were always on the same page. Like when we came back and everything just fit, fit together, like un, uncannily. So, you know, I can't imagine that that would always be the case, but like for whatever reason, I think the fact that we were both writing it simultaneously really helped because neither one of us could, you know, it's not like I was, I was grappling with some work that was already in existence. Like it could really be whatever either one of us wanted it to be. So, so, and, and same thing for him. It's not like, you know, it's not like he was, it it was an original show. So it, it, it really could just develop as we, as we wanted it to. And, and that I think really helped take a lot of pressure off and help things, you know, help things develop very naturally yeah, it it it's a it's an envious uh, process to hear about, and a and a and a really um, a really astounding opportunity for you, man. I'm really proud of you. Um, I can't wait to see it. I I can't wait for you to see it. I I think you would I think you would very much appreciate it. Tonight 
so this is is this actually going to be released on JT's album yeah okay and it's co-written by you and JT it is and uh, and also our friend Justin Halpin okay and then who's the singer JT that was JT Spangler yeah that was a guy it was he he does sound like a large woman fairly often but yeah that was that was definitely JT um all right, I'll cut this part out of the conversation, my, my surprise <laughs> of, of that fact. But that is not at all what I imagined in my head was happening in, in front of that mic. Uh, <laughs> Admit it, you were aroused. No, but I, but I, but I, but I, did so, have, I totally just had like a really horrifying like image of a very voluptuous, like well endowed, you know, breastually. J.T. Spangler, like in some kind of torchlighty dress, right, crooning in front of a yeah, a basically microphone. Jessica Rabbit with a beard. <laughs> that that part needs to make it into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Even if there's no explanation, just like randomly, like in the lead up, like you know when they, when when they play really strange, like disconnected, like. You know, clips from old radio shows and stuff like that. You need to have Jessica Rabbit with a beard. <laughs> That's going to be my moment of zen. <laughs> it all makes sense to me. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so... Yeah, have you not heard... Have you heard him uh, sing ever? I, I mean, I guess not that tone or not that... I mean, I've heard him sing maybe one or two songs, but it's it's been through you know, random videos that I've seen him, the two of you playing together. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a badass. He's got a great voice. I mean, just, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, did you play a key? I mean, did you play the uh, organ on this? No, I actually did not play anything on that, uh, on that version. He recorded it in Nashville. He recorded his whole album in Nashville and I can't think of the producer's name now, but I know they had a lot of ballers playing on it. And, uh, we have a few demo versions where I'm playing keys. Um, I'm, I think there's a demo version that we wrote or that we recorded the afternoon we wrote it, uh, where I'm on piano and there's guitar vocal. And then there's another version that's me playing Rhodes and organ and him singing. And this version is a lot more akin to that, but you know, the production value is like way higher and the, the players are great and it's a lot more filled out. It sounds like a really killer track. You know, I never would have envisioned it like that necessarily just listening to the demo it's interesting how we went totally separate directions from the writing demo which might be an interesting thing to play a snippet of as well <laughs> yeah i mean i i would love to hear that just from my own and you know my own um experience i like the thing, from, as a songwriter the, the questions that come to mind are are things like did you write it at that tempo you know that's an interesting question, actually. I mean, I I can I can play for you the temp the exact tempo that we wrote it at because uh, this recording was made, um, you know, ten minutes after we wrote, but we wrote it in a single afternoon in like an hour, an hour and two hours or something like that, and, and uh, actually have the the demo that JT made on his um, on his iPhone. Now, how did this start? Was this an idea that one of you had and brought to the other? Um, 
Yeah, actually, um, I was just on a, a writing trip to Nashville to write with a few different people, and JT was friends with Justin, and they were already writing together. And uh, so we all decided to get together and kind of have a little jam sesh slash writing session one afternoon. And Justin had an idea for, I think he had the beginning of the verse or, or just like a melodic idea or, you know, something sort of vaguely sketched out, which is, it's, it's pretty, I mean, it seems pretty typical. Pretty much every session I've been involved in. Sure. Everybody brings some, you know, tentative ideas at varying levels of completion. And uh, so, yeah, I think we started with just the first phrase or two and then added the B section and obviously wrote all the lyrics and stuff. And I mean, I think literally I, you can, you can probably hear it in this writing demo. I'm just going to grab it off my, oops, off my computer real quick. But, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty close. I think probably tempo wise and, and the rest of it seems to pretty much be there. Um, here I'll send you. Your lips taste like honey. Your skin feels like silk. When you wrap your eyes around me. That was um that was take my time the original demo um, recorded almost immediately after you you wrote yeah it. I mean you couldn't even really call it a demo honestly it's it's literally just you know you can hear people walking in and out the door and I'm saying right. can we take it a little faster and you know right. typical Beaumont fashion in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the recording so it's really just a work tape I mean it's just to to document what we wrote right yeah I mean it seems. 
um, to fit really well with the concept of the song, the tempo does, and and with the you know the main hook and the title, but it it also contributes the tempo of the song contributes so much, I think, to the feel overall that you get from it. Yeah, uh, of this song in particular because it's so slow. Well, and so you know that's sort of how we envision. Obviously, the the hook is "Take My Time," right? Um, and and so it kind of had to be slow from the outset. But when you hear the the live version that we do as a band, it's decidedly less sultry. I think we were gonna, you know, we were initially thinking of going in like a Peggy Lee direction with it, and we wound up pretty much just straight up swinging it and it's not um it's nothing like jt's version and it's not you know his version's probably closer to the first demo that we did but it's it's interesting to see how they split off because like the piano work is very similar you know it hasn't changed a lot from the first afternoon that when we wrote it and jt's vocal is similar but like when you take those things and sort of like uh send them off in different directions um it, it becomes a, a totally different song. Come on, nights, you know I like them less than lonely. In love and war, all's fair. The score you gotta play. Darling, you may want to be my one and only. But your everything is quiet. The price to pay